Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Good evening and welcome everyone to our TIFF talk this evening. I know it's not Tuesday, it is Wednesday, but we do have a great special guest today, uh, Dr. Cameron Ayub. Dr. Cameron Ayub, thank you so much for being here with us this evening. Thank you for inviting me, I appreciate it. Of course. My name is Andrea Millers and I'm with Endogastric Solutions. So before we start our program, I do want to uh, give a little background on Dr. Ayub. Uh, he earned his medical degree from, I'm going to make sure I say this correctly, Khyber Medical College in Peshawar, P Pakistan. And he completed his internal medicine res residency at Greater Baltimore Medical Center where he served as chief resident. His fellowship in gastroenterology and advanced endoscopy was completed at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. Uh, Dr. Ayub spe specializes in diseases of the pancreas, the bile duct, esophagus, including gastroesophageal reflux and Barrett's esophagus, and cancers of the, di the digestive tract. He has a passion for teaching, research, and innovation in the field of advanced interventional endoscopy, and he holds several uh, patents for novel endoscopic technologies. Uh, Dr. Ayub has trained numerous doctors in advanced endoscopy and has written and spoken extensively on these topics at nationals and international meetings. He practices clinics. Uh, New Lenox, sorry, Oak Lawn and Joliet, Illinois, and has been performing the TIF procedure for reflux since 2009. So welcome, Dr. Ayub, again, and thank you so much for being here with us this evening. Thank you, Andrea, for the kind introduction. It is an honor. It's an honor and privilege for me to be here today. I look forward to it. Fantastic. So let's go ahead and start talking, uh, you know, about what is GERD and what can patients, um, I was going to say look forward to, but they're not looking forward to, <laughs> what types of symptoms would they feel if they were suffering from, from GERD? So GERD is a common condition. Uh, as many of you know, this is Esophageal Cancer Awareness Month and GERD is one of the major etiologies of carcinoma esophagus. Uh, GERD or gastroesophageal reflux disease is described as a condition where there is reflux or regurgitation of stomach contents into the esophagus. It typically occurs uh, when the junction between esophagus and stomach, which is called gastroesophageal valve, becomes loose. So I just drew a picture very quickly to give some concept to the audience about GERD. Here, uh, if you can see this picture, sorry, 
uh, here you oh, see the esophagus and the stomach and the valve here, as you can see, there's part of esophagus that goes inside the stomach and it creates an angle to this side that's called angle of his. This valve is normally closed at a good angle here. So when the stomach pressure rises, the valve would close even if it was not normally closed. In patient with reflux, this valve becomes loose and looks much like this side here, where you can see that the area, there is no angle here. The valve is not pinched loose, it's wide open. So the stomach contents can reflux straight into esophagus, especially if intra-abdominal pressure was to rise. So stomach secretes hydrochloric acid. The lining of stomach, uh, what we call mucosa, is able to deal with acid and is used to that acid environment. Lining of the esophagus is a different lining and is not meant to deal with uh, acid. So when stomach acid, stomach contents regurgitate uh, into the esophagus, that leads to inflammation, chemical irritation, and later on can even progress to cancer, ulcers, strictures, etc. So that condition is called gastroesophageal reflux disease. Yeah, thank you so much. And the, the images is very easy to understand um, what why that happens. And thank you again for for bringing up esophageal cancer awareness month. Uh, you know, it's very important to raise awareness around that. And um, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, what do you you know generally suggest patients to do uh, to manage their GERD symptoms? You know, even before. Um, any type of treatment option, what, what do you normally um, prescribe them to do? Right. So you brought up esophageal cancer awareness month. So if I might uh, digress for a minute. Sure. Uh, I would want to, I'd like to mention uh, carcinoma esophagus is one of uh, my research uh, interests and passion. We at Silver Cross Hospital offers all sorts of treatment for this cancer, including photodynamic therapy, endoscopic dissection, resections, and uh, uh, some other laser uh, treatment, in addition to the usual uh, robotic surgery, chemoradiation therapy. Cancer of esophagus is the fastest rising cancer in the United States today. The main reason for that is the high rise in the incidence of gastroesophageal reflux disease over the past three decades, which in turn we see is due to the incidence of obesity, rising incidence of obesity. There is an epidemic of obesity in our country today, and the rise in BMI or increase in weight increase the amount of reflux, period. And when patients have reflux over long period of time, that reflux, abnormal lining, change in the lining of esophagus called Barrett's esophagus, which is unstable type of lining, precancerous, and then that progresses to cancer of esophagus. So, so much uh, my spiel about cancer of esophagus, going back to treatment of uh, reflux disease. As I already mentioned, obesity is an epidemic in our country. As the patient gains weight, there is more deposition of fat in the abdomen. If you saw my picture here, I don't know if you notice or not, but there is a line here, which is the diaphragm. So. Mm -hmm. This abdomen is below the diaphragm. It's a closed cavity. And when you deposit more fat in the abdominal viscera, liver, and other areas, intra-abdominal pressure 
rises. So stomach, when it produces acid, it has more tendency to reflux the acid into the esophagus. So obviously, weight loss or weight reduction will be a great management uh, to reduce the amount of reflux and eventually to even cure reflux in some many of the patients. The other treatments we suggest are over-the-counter measures, including taking antacids, if needed, H2 blockers like uh, Pepsid, uh, uh, and then uh, try and avoid uh, foods that lead to reflux. Typically, the foods that lead to uh, acid reflux are the foods that you enjoy that are delicious. So I tell my patient, anything that you enjoy eating, try and avoid it, especially in the evening time. For example, uh, desserts, rich chocolate, uh, desserts, uh, wine, beer, coffee, smoking, spicy meals, fatty meals like deep dish pizza from Chicago, very famous. All these things reduce the lower esophageal sphincter tone and also many of these stimulate increased gastric acid output. On top of that, many fatty meals also causes increased uh, spasm of the pylorus, which is the other end of the stomach. So stomach does not empty easily because there is pylorus spasm, lower esophageal sphincter relaxes, and stomach is producing more acid. So the environment is basically classic uh, time when you will get reflux. These patients at nighttime get heartburn, reflux, cough, and they can even get aspiration, pneumonia, laryngitis, etc. Right, right. So try to avoid those. There is also the medical therapy, uh, including proton pump inhibitors, which for the past, uh, since 1988, when they were first introduced, have been the mainstay of medical treatment for reflux. Right. So that would be the general approach. Weight reduction, I think, is very important. Uh, avoiding spicy meals, uh, alcohol, tobacco, uh, desserts, especially three or four hours before going to bed. It takes about three hours for stomach to empty. So I tell my patients, don't eat anything for three hours prior to bedtime. Try and eat your dinner 5, 6 p.m. if you go to bed at 9 or 10 p.m. And then the medication. Perfect. So I, I am seeing we, we're getting a lot of questions and, and one of the common question is always, and I think this could tie into, you know, esophageal cancer awareness as well. If you think about this, um, it's the testing. What uh, type of testing does a patient need to go through to determine whether or not they have GERD, A, and then B, whether or not um, there is a treatment option available to them? Um, because for, you know for their GERD uh, and then kind of tie that into you know the esophageal cancer um, you know is there a you know you get you get screened for a colonoscopy for colon cancer is there an actual screening um, for uh, a standardized if you will screening for esophageal cancer so there's are uh, several com uh, questions the yeah. intelligent audience have tied three or four different questions here uh, so diagnosis of reflux disease initially is made by primary care physician. Uh, so patient, when they have heartburn, reflux symptoms, and there is, believe it or not, about 20 million patients in this country who have weekly reflux symptoms and thus, by definition, of gastroesophageal reflux disease, they go to their primary care physician, primarily takes a history, physical exam, 
And in the absence of any so-called alarm symptoms, they start the patient on proton pump inhibitor. If patient's heartburn and other symptoms, regurgitation, nocturnal cough disappear, then that makes the diagnosis of gastroesophageal reflux disease. If patient thinks, huh, this is by chance that I started taking proton pump inhibitor and now pentoprazole or omeprazole and now my reflux is gone, they can stop taking the medicine and symptoms will promptly return. So that's the initial way to diagnose uh, reflux disease. If someone has reflux for five to 10 years, between five and 10 years history of heartburn, reflux symptoms, taking Tums or taking proton pump inhibitors, uh, and they are over 50 or reach the age of 50, uh, ASGE or American Society of Gastrointestinal Endoscopy recommends a screening endoscopy, upper endoscopy, to look for acid reflux and its complication, one of their dreaded complications called Barrett's esophagus. Barrett's esophagus, as I mentioned earlier, is a condition where the lining of esophagus changes to a precancerous type lining. It's a different lining, so we go biopsy and we're able to make the diagnosis. And these days, then we can treat Barrett and prevent progression to cancer of the esophagus. Carcinoma esophagus, just to remind you, is one of the most lethal cancers known to mankind. So this cancer has 95% five-year mortality. As a comparison, colorectal cancer have 35%, 30% five-year mortality, and it's uh, reduced uh, going down now as we are diagnosing it earlier and earlier. So this is a lethal cancer, and it's important to do the screening. Yeah. Treatment, the question also talked about how to diagnose and treat. So the endoscopy we also do earlier on if patient has red flag signs I mentioned. Those red flag signs would be difficulty swallowing. The food tends to get stuck. Weight loss along with heartburn. Or if patient is vomiting blood. Those are red flag signs. If patient blood count drops for some reason, that is also considered red flag sign. And under those circumstances, even at initial presentation, primary care would typically send the patient to a gastroenterologist and they will perform an endoscopy to look for something more dangerous, some complication of reflux, like stricture or narrowing of the esophagus, ulcers, or cancer of the esophagus. Yeah. Treatment, uh, I think the audience also asked about management or treatment. So we already mentioned the lifestyle changes. Uh, here, initially, we start a proton pump inhibitor, but there are also other options, including surgery, different types of surgery and transendoscopic treatments, including transendoscopic fundoplication, which is what sponsored tonight's talk. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Uh, and so, you know, there's other types of uh, testing that always comes up, you know, whether or not they have to have a manometry, the pH testing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, um, if you don't mind? Good question. So typically, we would do pH testing and manometry as the further uh, test if needed. If a patient is being considered for fundoplication, be it transendoscopic incisionless fundoplication or laparoscopic robotic fundoplication, then we normally do pH testing. This is a special device called Bravo probe that we place 
six centimeter above the gastroesophageal junction through an endoscope with the help of an endoscope, and it measures the esophagus pH or acidity. So it actually measures the amount of acid coming back into the esophagus over 48 to 92 or uh, 96 hour period, either two days or four days, they're two different types. That is required by insurance. Uh, if patient does not have established diagnosis of Barrett's esophagus, so then we do pH testing prior to fundoplication or prior to uh, transendoscopic TIF procedure. Manometry is not a routine test. Esophageal manometry measures the muscle contractility of the esophagus. So in a normal person, when we eat food, even if we are hanging upside down, once you swallow a bolus of food, the esophagus contracts and milks it into the stomach. In some patients they, who have difficulty swallowing, that motility is affected. So then to check the motility and make a diagnosis of some form of motility disorder, we do manometry, but only in patients who have difficulty swallowing or food gets stuck in the throat or esophagus under those circumstances. Otherwise, manometry is not a routine test that we would do before TIF. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, we're, so we do have, I'm, I, I thank you for uh, asking the questions. Um, we got some questions coming up, but before I want to get to their questions that are coming up on Facebook, um, can you explain um, or maybe explain how the TIF procedure works and what it what is it actually or what does it stand for? So TIF stands for Transendoscopic Incisionless Fundoplication. Uh, TIF was first approved in 2007. It is incisionless endoscopic approach to management of patients with reflux. Basically, what we do is go pull in the GE junction down into the stomach and put sutures across to create a nice valve that looks more like a normal valve. Again, I know Pablo Picasso, but here I have made an attempt to draw a diagram to show you TIF. So to my left here is a GE, sorry, where's the note? Here you can see a gastroesophageal junction. Yep, you got it. Did I get it? Yep. Oh, okay, I think I need oh, to there. show this. So oh, this sorry. is a loose junction. You can see the valve is loose here. This is the stomach above is the esophagus. And then with TIF, what we do is we go in with the device, pull the GE junction down with a special uh, device and then put special T-type uh, fasteners through this area to uh, T-tags to basically create a lip or a valve inside the stomach, intragastric portion of esophagus below the diaphragm. And that valve creates much like a natural valve, an angle here. Uh, when the pressure in the stomach rises, this valve closes, pinches, and thus prevents reflux. So TIF basically mimics normal anatomy and leads to anatomic correction. As against proton pump inhibitors, it basically is not treating the cause, the anatomic problem where the gastroesophageal junction is loose, but inhibits the gastric acid secretion. So any of the medication proton pump inhibitor or H2 blocker acts by reducing gastric acid output. Uh, but uh, so that reduces the symptoms, but the valve remains loose. And if you stop taking proton pump inhibitor, the reflux comes back. So TIF and the surgeon's procedure, uh, fundoplication, which is we call Nissen fundoplication, uh, basically creates that valve. 
Perfect. Thank you. And we actually have a question from Matthew asking, um, why would I choose a TIF um, versus a Nissan? Is TIF better? He's asking. Okay. So TIF is transendoscopic incisionless fundoplication. Nissan fundoplication nowadays is either robotic or laparoscopic uh, fundoplication. There is an incision involved. Uh, there is also a third uh, modality, surgical modality uh, called Lynx where the surgeon puts a magnetic uh, bead or little bracelet around lower esophagus to close it and it opens when the food bolus arrives. So uh, the general thinking is that uh, nascent fundoplication and uh, links device are reserved for more severe reflux where patient has a very loose flap valve. Uh, TIF is reserved for patients who have mild uh, reflux. So as I mentioned, there is about 20 million patients uh, in United States who have uh, daily or at least few times a week reflux. Those patients have gastroesophageal reflux disease. About 10% of those would have severe reflux. So about a million patients. And those should be considered for nascent fundoplication or links or one of the surgical repairs. There is a big chunk of patients in between 60 or 50 percent who have mild to moderate reflux. They have a very small hiatal hernia, less than two centimeters. The valve is slightly loose, like I show in my picture here, but not very loose. So those patients are more amenable to TIF. TIF has some advantages. Nissan fundoplication has some advantages. TIF is good for patients who have mild to moderate reflux. It creates a but it cannot reduce a larger hiatal hernia. It cannot tighten the diaphragm. So patients who have a bigger hiatal hernia or who have very loose diaphragmatic benefit from nissen fundoplication. Nissen fundoplication requires an incision, making a hole in the chest and going in. It does require a few nights stay. It takes longer time to recover. There is the risk of infection of the incision, wound dehiscence, uh, bleeding, etc. TIF, because it's incisionless, does not have those type of risks, um, much of those risks. Also, TIF does not create scarring in the chest. So if you do TIF, two, three years later, five years later, a patient has recurrence of symptoms, you think TIF has become loose, you can redo TIF or perform nissen fundoplication easily on those patients. Nissen fundoplication, once you perform a second nissen it, it can become and often does become loose in three to five years or seven years. A redo nissen fundoplication is extremely complicated and hazardous procedure. The complication rate goes up, success rate goes down, and it's a complicated surgery performed in only few tertiary centers. So those would be some of the other differences. Thank uh, you. TIF has very fast recovery as well because there's no incision involved. So patients usually go home the same day or next day. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and there's always question about can I get a TIF um, if I need a hiatal hernia repair as well. So there there's that aspect as um, of it as well, right? Getting a combination combination uh, hiatal hernia repair with the TIF procedure, right? Yes. So again, if there is more than two centimeter hiatal hernia, then many times what I do is what we call combined TIF or CTIF. Uh, combined TIF is done in the OR with a surgeon uh, and basically surgeon goes in, makes a small incision, reduces the hiatal hernia, then I would 
go in and perform TIF endoscopically in CGN-less procedure. Perfect, thank you. Uh, we've got a question from Andrew. He's asking how, eff how effective is TIF at reducing my reflux symptoms? So TIF uh, in the studies in the appropriate patient, as I mentioned, patient selection is important. Not everyone is candidate for TIF. Majority of patients would be with reflux, but not all. In an appropriate patient, TIF is very successful. Many studies have shown that 85 to 90 percent of patients are off proton pump inhibitors at three five-year interval. A recent TEMPO trial, which was a big study, uh, revealed similar results. About 90 percent of patients were off proton pump inhibitors at five years. The study is ongoing and I think uh, data looks very exciting. So for the first time, I think we have an endoscopic management which is effective and seems to stay uh, work long term. Uh, I've been in GI business for a while. Uh, as you guys probably know, I, I look younger than my age. But uh, uh, we have tried many different treatments in the past uh, and they came and went, uh, including endosynch uh, from Cook Medical. There was another device where we were injecting inert material and everything uh, basically eventually failed. When we did randomized control trials, it failed. Strata was the only one that worked, but Strata unfortunately died out. The company went bust. Uh, TIF is one device that has been very successful. When I saw TIF first in 2007, actually, the CEO and founder of TIF device, uh, the French gentleman, met with me and toured at DDW with me. I was fortunate he was living in Seattle. I was very impressed because the device actually recreates the normal human anatomy. The other devices we used, we were going trying to tighten the junction, but we were not creating the angle of phase. We were not mimicking the normal anatomy. With this device, we do. So I think that's why it works very well. Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, we have a question from Derek. Uh, he's saying, I've seen a few people that have had problems with their appetite or getting full after just a couple bites. After even three to four months out from the surgery, what has been your experience with this? So this is more post-op uh, question. So, uh, there is uh, two types of surgery, as we discussed. There is the Nissan fundoplication and nowadays links as well. And then there's TIF. TIF, by definition, is a partial wrap. It is a wrap or tightening that we create. We create a valve over the TIF device. So we go in with an endoscope and TIF device into the stomach, and then we tighten around that. So we cannot over-tighten the gastroesophageal junction, and it's not a full 360-degree wrap. The surgeon is tightening from outside, so they can and often do do a more uh, complete wrap and it becomes a bit tight. So most of the patients after good Nissan fundoplication don't get any reflux, but they're not able to vomit, not able to belch, and many get what we call gas bloat syndrome. So gas bloating can occur initially in 50% of patients and over long term, different studies show that 10 to 15% of patients with Nissan, laparoscopic Nissan fundoplication have gas bloating. It persists. Uh, TIF, on the other hand, does not cause those type of symptoms. Any swelling, edema from suturing, so for a month or a few weeks, they might have some difficulty swallowing and minimal bloating symptom, but those go away quickly. 
Perfect. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the TIF procedure, uh, you know, what patients should expect if they have the TIF procedure and what does the recovery look like? So, you know, are they in the hospital overnight? Are they, um, you know, what's their, a lot, we get a lot of questions about diet. What does that look like? Um, and the recovery portion of it, can I work out afterwards? So maybe if you can just like paint a picture of, you know, what they can expect if they're coming in the day of the surgery and then kind of post-op. Many patients go home the next morning, 23-hour ops. Some patients go home the same day. Uh, patients do get some chest pain, and some patients get pain in the shoulder uh, as well due to irritation of phrenic nerve that supplies the diaphragm. It's in that area, so gets irritated. That pain can last up to a week. It's not very severe in response to ordinary analgesics. I typically put my patients on full liquid diet after TIF and they stay on full liquid diet for a few days, three to five days, and then gradually advance to soft diet. Many other uh, people, especially surgeons, who are used to nissen fundoplication, keep their patients on full liquid diet for four to six weeks. My feeling is, I tell the patient, play it by the ear. If you can swallow scrambled eggs or mashed potatoes and you know wash it down with water or soda or something, I'm okay with that after two or three days. Uh, full liquid diet is not as bad. I explained to my patient that full liquid diet can be a healthy, normal meal. So full liquid diet includes soups like lobster bisque, uh, ice cream, jello, protein shakes, uh, fruit smoothies, etc. So there is a lot of latitude here and they can live on full liquid diet for a few days without, I think, uh, much of uh, hunger or, uh, or lack of nutrition. Then they gradually advance to soft diet, and soft diet, uh, I tell them they can eat they can eat anything, either put it in a blender and then eat it, or chew your food very very well, such that when you swallow, uh, I want very small tiny pieces going down the throat, not big chunks. And always, always initially, if you have difficulty, wash it down with water after every few swallows or with uh, some kind of drink. Um, depend on their choice. So if they're in California, like yourself, they can wash it down with a glass of wine. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I wish I was in California. I used to live in California, but uh, our producer is that's that he he's in, uh, in California. <laughs> but uh, talk I suggest we should do in wine country. So there. Yes, our next TIFF talk will be in wine country. <laughs> um, so, motility uh, yep. activity is concerned. I tell them to go back to work within two to three days. If they do some physical work, lifting weights, carrying things, then obviously there is restriction. So I restrict them to lifting about 10, 15 pounds of weight maximum for first two weeks. Then they can go up to 50 pounds to six weeks. And after six weeks, they can go back to regular uh, weight uh, lifting and everything. Perfect. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and we got a question from Madeline. She's asking, what do you do for silent acid reflux? Uh, so silent acid reflux is, uh, uh, I did not quite understand. She means uh, reflux that has no symptoms. It's not clear, but, uh, you know, I see the question a lot. Uh, maybe they're talking about, you know, LPR possibly. Uh, maybe they're 
She just yeah. said silent reef acid okay. reflux. But there is uh, LPR or uh, supraesophageal reflux. Uh, and then there is reflux where it's uh, not reflux, but esophageal hypersensitivity to acid. So I don't know what Madeline is asking, but <clears throat> in esophageal uh, hypersensitive esophagus, the acid uh, causes irritation, but when we go in, we don't see any changes of esophagitis or any damage. LPR or laryngeopharyngeal reflux, supraesophageal reflux is common at least 10% and I suspect close to 20% of patients have uh, supraesophageal reflux. They can get laryngitis, they can get asthma, they can present with chronic cough, uh, can get sinusitis, they can get other issues with the upper respiratory tract. So that is common. One of the common causes of asthma is gastroesophageal reflux disease and it should be treated aggressively. It's considered more severe form of reflux. So patients with uh, supraesophageal reflux, I recommend treating them initially with double dose proton pump inhibitor and moving on to anatomic correction if and when possible, sooner rather than later. Perfect, thank I you. I hope that answers their question. I, yeah, I hope so. I'm, I'm sure it, ha it does answer their question. Uh, we've got a question from Barbara. Will motility issues combined with a large hiatal hernia and reflux benefit from TIF? Motility issues, large hiatal hernia and uh, reflux. So large hiatal hernia by definition would require a combined TIF. So we cannot reduce more than two centimeter hernia. So if it's a large four, five, six centimeter hernia, what we do is we go to the OR with the surgeon, as I discussed before, surgeon reduces the hiatal hernia, then we go in and do the TIF. And these patients do very well, actually. These patients do beautifully, the combined TIF patients, in my experience, have done very well. So yes, they would. This motility is a different issue. If the esophagus is not contracting well, such that patient has dysphagia, we used to recommend partial wrap to the surgeon. So there used to be anterior and posterior wrap, partial wrap, but not a complete 360 degree Nesson fundoplication. Well, guess what? TIF by definition is a partial wrap. So TIF works very well with these patients. They don't get dysphagia. They don't get the same uh, symptoms that they would get with Nesson fundoplication or other Lynx type procedures. So yes, it does work very well in that setting. Thank you. Okay, uh, we've got another question and probably are getting close to the end of the questions. Um, this this is from Lynn. She's asking, hi, Dr. Ayub. I've been experiencing tightness in my chest when I'm climbing stairs. After the first flight, I feel like I had rapid heartbeat. Usually check it, usually about 100 to 120 um, BPMs. I had chronic heartburn. I keep on burping and I was negative for H. pylori. What do you think? She's asking. <laughs> Did she get it? I am concerned that when it's exercise induced, then uh, it can be heart disease. So mm -hmm. in case of Lynn, first thing I would like to do is for her to see a cardiologist uh, and get stress EKG to make sure she does not have heart disease. So there is a misconception that women don't get heart attack or they don't get heart disease. They do. And heart disease coronary artery disease, heart attack is leading cause of death amongst men and women. Mm. Uh, so I think that she needs to get stress EKG done. If cardiologist says that this is a non-cardiac chest pain, then I would like to do endoscopy and esophageal manometry 
because esophageal spasm can be uh, exercise induced and can cause similar pain, chest pain to the heart disease. Yeah. Uh, acid reflux and, and in and of itself can cause spasm of esophageal muscle when the acid comes back and cause spasm of muscle in some patient and cause chest pain, just like heart uh, type pain, cardiac type pain. Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, and this is a, let's see, uh, last kind of question um, from D or comment. She had a, hy a hiatal hernia high in her chest. Uh, doctors never found it until 2019. It was there for seven years. At least, it, she's saying it leaked acid reflux into my lungs, scarred them. IPF, they say. I had hernia repaired. I take OFEV uh, for the fibrosis and shortness of breath. So I think she's just just saying that she's having some issues. So she probably um, would, what do you think, benefit from seeing, and she's saying she also has nausea after eating. Um, not sure if she's asking a question, uh, more so just wondering if that's, does she need to see a gastroenterologist probably? I think she does. She needs aggressive treatment. Uh, her pulmonary uh, symptoms will only get worse if she continues to have reflux. Uh, we can get acid reflux, but also can get bile reflux and non-acid reflux, stomach contents uh, reflux, especially when you have large hiatal hernia. So even if she's on proton pump inhibitors, there's no acid going back. There's still gastric contents can go irritate the lungs. Uh, so I think she needs to see a gastroenterologist and probably will need a combined operation, surgical, either uh, surgeon doing hiatal hernia repair and fundoplication or combined TIF would be in order here. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and we've got a lot of the uh, people that have asked questions that you answered saying thank you, Lindsay. Thank you very much. So um, we appreciate that. Uh, let's, let's see. we got one more question. I think this is actually a good one from Nicole. She's asking, can someone still have the TIF done if they had gastric bypass or sleeve done? So uh, sleeve and gastric bypass are two different uh, situations. Uh, gastric bypass is where stomach pouch is very, very small. They cannot have TIF, but gastric bypass by definition cures the acid reflux because what you do is you exclude most of the stomach, especially the acid producing portion of the stomach, and then you attach the small pouch, top part of the gastric pouch to small bowel. Uh, what we call a ruling, a long limb. So the acid cannot come back here. Acid reflux is cured. These patients can still, still have reflux regurgitation type symptoms and we can go and tighten the valve. I perform special procedures for these patients called anti-reflux mucosectomy or resection and plication where I go cut out the mucosal lining and then suture the area to make it tight. It's not TIF, it's a different procedure, came from Japan. I'm one of the few in uh, state of Illinois that performed that procedure and has been successful for these patients. For sleeve patients, again, TIF is a larger device. So we have to retrovert it or turn it around, do a full U-turn in the stomach, and it does not do that with sleeve. It's hard to do that. So with sleeve patient, again, I do arms or anti-reflux mucosectomy, the Japanese procedure or another procedure that was described from, from UC Irvine called MAZE, where we go in 
and do ablation with laser argon plasma ablation followed by suturing. So either resection followed by suturing or argon plasma ablation followed by suturing in these patients with sleep. Okay, okay, thank you. Uh, I think this is the last question. Uh, it's a double question. Um, Barbara's asking, she's saying, my mother died of pulmonary fibrosis and suffered with reflux. Are they related? And then she also asked, will hiatal hernia repair alone relieve reflux? So number one, yes, they can be related. In many cases, they are. If you have severe reflux, you can get pulmonary fibrosis. I have a patient that I saw today. I did scope on her today who was being evaluated for double lung transplant has fibrosis due to severe reflux. Uh, and Yes, hiatal hernia repair will help some, but I think with that, we need to do fundoplication depending on her anatomy, either transendoscopic or laparoscopic fundoplication or robotic fundoplication. But she will need fundoplication, which is means tightening and reshaping of the gastroesophageal junction and pulling the hiatal hernia, meaning hiatal hernia means some of the stomach has gone above the diaphragm into the chest. So it's herniated. So pulling it down and suturing it into the stomach below diaphragm is called hiatal hernia repair. So she will need both hiatal hernia repair and fundoplication. Right. You're very popular, Dr. Ayub. There's a lot of questions coming up. So um, we'll try to we'll get two more questions um, back in here. Uh, Madeline's asking, can reflux cause you to lose weight? And you did mention this earlier, but maybe you can answer it again. Uh, uh, so the weight gain can cause reflux. Losing weight will help with the reflux. Unfortunately, reflux in and of itself does not cause weight loss. The only way it can cause weight loss is when chronic reflux leads to ulcers of esophagus, which can cause stricture or narrowing of esophagus such that food does not go down. Patients have difficulty swallowing, and then they don't eat enough and they can lose weight. The other situation is cancer of esophagus. Patients from chronic reflux can develop carcinoma esophagus, and those patients typically present with difficulty swallowing and weight loss. But reflux in and of itself does not cause weight loss. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Manai uh, uh, is asking, <clears throat> excuse me. I have chronic acid reflux and Barrett's esophagus and polyps in intestine. Do I have to do an, an endoscopy and colonoscopy every year? Uh, so no, the Barrett's esophagus, uh, I think she can read more about it on my website, refluxchicago.com, www.refluxchicago.com. But Barrett's esophagus is a complication of reflux. What I tend to do with Barrett's is I go in and treat it with radiofrequency ablation or argon plasma ablation. If it's more advanced type of Barrett's, then I do endoscopic resection, place the patient on proton pump inhibitors. Once that Barrett's is gone, then we do fundoplication, and then they do not need any more uh, every year endoscopy. Every five years at the most would, survive, uh, would suffice. Uh, polyps in the small intestine is a different condition. Uh, for that, she will need probably colonoscopy if she has colon polyps uh, a lot and small bowel polyps. Then we have to do some special testing to see if she has some genetic condition called familiar polyposis or not. Because small bowel polyps are not so common. Colon polyps are common, but small bowel are not. And I suspect she's mentioning small bowel polyps. So if it is just colon polyps, she needs colonoscopy every three to five years. But if 
there's too many polyps. Sometimes we do it after one year, and then do it uh, gradually lengthen the intervals. Perfect. Well, thank you. Well, uh, that's about it for the questions that we have tonight. However, um, I wanted to do. I, I do want to give you an opportunity to, um, you know, give some last um, your your advice that you would give um, to these patients um, across the board um, if they're suffering from GERD. Um, you know, what what do you think? What what do they need to do? What's your last words of advice? So, I, I think that. We have good treatment option in proton pump inhibitors. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, we thought it's a good long-term option. Obviously, first they need to do the general measures, including weight reduction, uh, modifying dietary habits, avoiding smoking, alcohol, especially at nighttime, close to bedtime, uh, and then proton pump inhibitors. Now, there's growing press that proton pump inhibitors can cause uh, increased risk of dementia. And some studies have come out and shown that it increased the risk of kidney damage, uh, also increases risk of uh, gastroenteritis and other uh, stomach infections. So long-term proton pump inhibitor is going out of fashion. And in many patients, we have tendency now to move in and consider them for anatomic correction, including transendoscopic fundoplication, surgical nissen fundoplication or Lynx procedure if they are reasonable candidates for that. Also, long-term proton pump inhibitors can cause osteoporosis or osteopenia, thinning of the bones. And women after menopause are very prone to thinning of bone as well. In fact, if you go to nursing home, the 80, 90-year-old, one of the common causes of death is either hip fracture or one of the spine fracture leading to pulmonary emboli and other complications leading to death. So, Bone thinning is a big problem, and proton pump inhibitors do reduce the uh, bone uh, density by affecting vitamin D absorption. So I think uh, we are going towards anatomic correction. So do see your gastroenterologist, ask about the procedure uh, options available. Endoscopic treatment is rather minimally invasive. It's slightly bigger procedure than upper endoscopy. It typically takes me 30 minutes to do a TIF. Uh, so consider those options rather than taking lifelong uh, proton pump inhibitors because those drugs are expensive, they have side effects. Many of the patients don't have complete response, they have partial response, and long-term they can run into problems, including Barrett's esophagus and carcinoma esophagus. We think that proton pump inhibitors do not reduce the risk of cancer of esophagus currently. Yeah. So that's why I think they should talk to their gastroenterologist. If they want to visit Chicago, good city to visit in summer, refluxchicago.com. They can find my number. And I have uh, spent a lot of time, last 20 years, research on esophagus, uh, reflux disease, cancer of esophagus. So be happy to see them as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yes, if you are watching and you're in the Chicago area, you can uh, look up Dr. Ayub and find him and schedule an appointment with him. Uh, if you're not in the Chicago area or you're somewhere else, um, you can go to GERDhelp.com. We do have a physician finder on there and you can put in your city and state and you'll be able to find a TIF trained physician in your area as well. So um, Dr. Ayub, we can't thank you enough for being here this evening and answering all of uh, the questions.
questions that have come up and, and giving a great educational uh, talk about uh, GERD and the TIF procedure. So um, thank you for joining us this evening. And all of you who uh, joined us, thank you for joining and thank you for your questions. Again, Dr. Ayub, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. I know that the people that were watching appreciate it as well. So everybody have a great evening and we'll catch you next time. Thank, thank you. you, Andrea. Thank you so much. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERDhelp mobile app. Thanks for tuning into another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERDhelp. Live well, GERD free.